Yes, here we are again. It's Anthony Day, it's Friday, and it's the Sustainable Futures Show. Sorry it's a bit late this week. If you're listening to the show for the first time, welcome. If you're a regular, welcome to you too. I have to say that the number of subscribers is now growing rapidly, and please tell your friends, because I'd love it to grow even more rapidly. The Sustainable Futures Show is absolutely free of charge, and it has no advertising whatever. Well, I do talk about myself from time to time, because I'm always interested to find opportunities for platform speaking, or chairing your event, or maybe coming in and talking to your colleagues, or to your kids' sixth form. Bear it in mind. A number of people have asked why the last episode was called Events, Dear Boy, Events. If you read the notes, you know why, but if you only listened to the episode, you don't. The story is that a previous British Prime Minister, Harold Macmillan, was asked by a journalist, Mr Macmillan, is there anything that could blow the government off course? And his response was, events, dear boy, events. Of course, he wasn't talking about the sort of events that we're discussing, like conferences, meetings and exhibitions. He was talking about politics. Actually, that's very appropriate, because in this episode, I'm going to talk about politics... I'm going to talk about the panel discussion at Sustainability Live last week about what governments should do about sustainability after the election. But I'm going to start by introducing you to some people who are exhibiting at the event and who explain to me what you can do about sustainability here and now and how they can help. The quickest wins and the lowest hanging fruit are almost always concerned with saving energy. I saw a stand with the slogan, Nothing to lose but your carbon footprint. Sounds like a good idea. Carl Clark told me more. Okay, well I'm with Carl Clark, the director of UK Central, who's going to talk to me about LED lighting. Now I believe LEDs have actually developed quite a lot in the last few years, Carl. Absolutely. Um, To give an example, sort of five years ago we were quoting 40 lumens per watt, and today we're quoting 140 lumens per watt. So what that means essentially is the LED is now a very, very viable light source uh, and it means in an application, you can't see this but I'm holding a street light, uh, we can take out your 80 watt high pressure sodium street lights, screw in a 20 watt LED, a retrofit directly into your existing fitting and pop your uncle, you have a 80% energy saving uh, without really doing anything. And the other big advantage would be that you don't have to go back to it for at least five years. We give a five-year warranty, uh, up to a 10-year warranty on, all, on these products. So yeah, LEDs are now very, very much uh, uh, a viable, uh, reliable and cost-effective. Uh, so you device. can screw that uh, street light into an existing sodium fitting? Absolutely. And you get rid of all that horrible orange light? It's a white light. You can go from 4,000 Kelvin up to 6,000 Kelvin. So what that, what that means is it, 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 it improves the, uh, the colour rendering, which means you know, every car looks like the right colour rather than just brown. Yes. <laughs> and people's perception is much better as well. The quality of light is there. Carl, thank you very much for that. No problem. You can find out more at ukcentral.com. That's with an O. So it's U-K-C-E-N-T-R-O-L. 
Once you've picked the low-hanging fruits, things start to get a bit harder. Maybe you need a consultant. There was no shortage of consultants at the NEC last week. I spoke to Paul Gibbs at the 4R Group. OK, hi. Well, I'm talking to Paul Gibbs now, who's director of uh, the 4R Group Consultancy. And 4Rs, well, what do the 4Rs stand for? Well, they don't actually stand for anything, actually. They're uh, just selected by when the company was set up. Um, right. I mean, I mean, some people say it's reduced, reuse, recycle, but... Uh, well, I can see recycling is... Um, I mean, we, we specialise in re recycling materials to land primarily, so whether that be digested, compost, ashes, wood waste, so right. materials that have some form of benefit to soil, to grow crops, or to create soils and restoration scenarios. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of people looking to do this sort of thing. I mean, the, the, the watchword is zero to landfill, isn't it? Correct. Yeah. Uh, and I've noticed there's quite a lot of self-help best practice groups up around the country. Uh, where are you based? Nationally based, head office in Leeds, but we've got uh, a team of consultants and practitioners from southwest Cornwall up to Hadrian's right. War, so right. we, we cover the whole of the country. Right. Um, primarily centred around wherever the materials are that we recycle. So digestate from the Midlands, from Bithacana, down to restoring land for Emirates China Clay in, in Devon and Cornwall. Really? Yeah. yeah. So it's a wide range of industries. Very then. wide range. Of yes. Yeah. Good. OK, I'm sure you've got a website with all the details on it. We have it. indeed. So just to remind people, it's the 4R group. 4R, 4R group.co.uk. OK, Paul, thank you very much Thanks for very talking much to me. If your aim is zero to landfill, then the 4R group might be one of the people you need to talk to. Go to 4R-group.com. I'm really grateful to people who agreed to do my interviews out of the blue. Of course, there were some people who said they couldn't possibly do it, either because they were shy or because they needed authorisation from head office. But others were a delight to talk to. This is what I learnt on the BMSI stand. Johnny Fever was keen to chat. It's about making buildings smarter. Now I'm talking to Johnny Fever, Bureau Engineer with BMSI. BMSI, what does that mean? So BMSI, what we're here to do today is to tell you about the service we provide. So what that means is it means that we can provide you for, with BMS major installations. BMS, because a lot of people who listen to this don't understand technicalities. BMS is building management systems. Okay, so hence the smart buildings yeah, thing. That's yeah. Right. So um, some of the services that we can provide are major installations, um, AMT via our, our new product called Medic, which is what we're here to talk about today. Yes. Also. What does that do? So AMT oh, Medic is uh, is there to help buildings reduce their energy consumption so it's an A and Z package. Right. Um, so okay. And where are you based? Are you do you operate across the whole of the UK? So we're 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 regionalised, so uh, I'm actually based in Slough, but we have also have offices uh, in Scotland, Midlands, um, which is in Albury. Um, and then we have offices, head office in Windsor and Denmead also. I see. Now, are you talking about a new build or are you talking about retrofit or are you talking about both? Which one? Our buildings or...? Well, your, your services... That, no, no, no. I mean, when you provide your services to buildings, is it for a new build or can you use...? It can be old buildings or new buildings. So you can yes. retrofit, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And if people want to get in touch with you, what's your uh, website? So our website is www.bmsi.co.uk. bmsi.co.uk. Yeah, Johnny, thank you very much no for talking problem. to me. Thank you. Thank you. bmsi.co.uk Somebody once said, if you can't stand the heat, keep out of the kitchen. 
but kitchens are changing. I wouldn't say there is no waste heat, but there seems to be less than there was. I'm talking to Emma Brooks, Strategic Major Account Manager for Quintex Energy Management Systems, and on their stand it says energy efficient solutions for commercial kitchens. Now tell me more about that. Um, we have a system called Cheetah Energy Control System, which controls the fans in a kitchen based on demand. So if there's lots of steam, smoke and heat, then it will speed the fans up. Um, when there isn't very much heat, smoke and steam, it will slow the fans down. And it does that constantly throughout the period of time the fans are switched on, speeds up the fans and slows them down based on demand. So you don't waste any energy running the fans if there's nothing for them to clear? Exactly, yes. But you're also talking about heat recovery. And you said something about dishwashers? Yes, uh, we have a, a system which recovers um, heat from a dishwasher, so it takes the waste water, it stores that in a sump, ready for the next wash, and when the clean feed water comes through, it's already preheated, so instead of coming in at 12 degrees, it might come in at 40 degrees, and then the, the difference to then heat it up to the correct temperature is less, therefore you should use less energy. So effectively you're reusing the waste energy from the previous cycle? That's right, yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. It is quite amazing the sort of different things I'm finding at this exhibition. Oh, that's great. So uh, thank you, thank you Emma, thank you very much for telling me about it. You're welcome. Emma Brooks of Quintex, that's Quintex, Q-U-I-N-T-E-X dot co dot UK. Just a small sample of the couple of hundred exhibitors that were at Sustainability Live last week. I spent much of my time at the panel session entitled What is Driving the Agenda? Expertly chaired by Simon Jack of BBC Radio 4's Today programme, five experts looked at what business needs from the next government. As I explained last time, I don't record people without their permission, but I do take notes. I do hope it will be possible to interview some of the panellists on a separate occasion in the future. Anyway, here's what I noted down. The first speaker was Peter Young of the Aldersgate Group. In his view, the new government must be green in all its policies. That's a tall order, he accepts, but business can coerce government to a certain extent to decarbonise the economy, get energy policy under control and assure healthy natural resources. Neither business nor governments can act alone and must work together towards stability, clarity and acceptance of the fifth carbon budget which will be published later this year. Britain's voice must be strong internationally. There must be a clear policy for resource security and for onshoring or reshoring industrial production. That's the opposite, of course, of offshoring, which has become so popular over the last 20 years or so. This needs government commitment. Early action on energy efficiency is vital. Oh, and as an aside, have you read the Sustainable Energy Without the Hot Air book? Sustainable Energy Without the Hot Air. Remind me to tell you about it at the end of this episode. There needs to be a 10-year house-building programme with raised building standards. The Green Deal has not worked in its present form and must be strengthened and revised. The circular economy is key to a low-carbon future and we need procurement standards and Young recommended a review of the circular economy similar to the Stern Review of 2006. The Green Investment Bank must be unshackled so that it can get involved in a far wider range of investments than is now permitted. More important than the new government's policies is how it actually acts. Business as usual is not the future. 
A secure future requires a move away from consumerism and fossil fuels. The environment must be at the core of the economic plan. Question on energy policy. Peter Young said that so far it had not been very inspired and was dogged by procrastination. We need to achieve a target of 100 grams of carbon per kilowatt hour by 2030. Solar energy is now becoming competitive, but we need 5 to 10 years of security and a change of mindset from centralised generation to the distributed model. The next speaker was Claudine Blamey, Chair of ICRS, the Institute of Corporate Responsibility and Sustainability. Other institutes for sustainability professionals are available. Her list of demands on the next government started with acknowledgement of the issues by government and official recognition of the sustainability profession. The UK government should take a lead at the Paris conference with a target of a 40% CO2 reduction by 2030. Hitherto, government vision has lacked a view of the bigger picture and the low-carbon economy has not been properly thought through. We need cohesion and an end to different government departments taking different views on similar aspects of policy. We need stability and certainty. Businesses must incorporate sustainability into the business model. Many major organisations are already doing this, and this is more than just tokenism. Reporting should be mandatory. Roger Bentley from the University of Reading took on the Herculean task of explaining near-term constraints to global energy supply in 10 minutes. He started off by stating that we can use much less energy to achieve the same results. In other words, it's not just about supply, it's about demand as well. Did I mention the lights at the National Exhibition Centre? When I was there last week, one of the sunniest days of the year, all the lights were on everywhere, including the glass-walled walkways. Why do we ignore natural light? Have you got the lights on at the moment? Is it light outside? Well then. Roger said that we're at peak oil now, in other words, the point of maximum production, and from here on, oil production must decline. He said peak gas will be reached within 10 to 15 years, and peak hard coal is on the near horizon. Many studies show that we have hundreds of years of coal left, but most of this is brown coal or lignite. This is far more polluting than hard coal, which is already by far the dirtiest fuel. There is a low return on all alternative fuels, and a high energy cost destroys economies. Nevertheless, we need to control CO2 emissions. Peak oil is pushing up the oil price, and although it is only around $60, a barrel at present, it is historically high in real terms. In any case, new oil is expensive and reserves are unreliable, and the price is likely to go back up to $100 a barrel, plus in the very near future. For all the hype about shale oil, it is likely to run out within four or five years. Roger went on to discuss the energy return from different fuels. For example, one unit of energy invested in the production of oil from tar sands yields between 1.5 and 8 units of energy. One unit invested in coal production yields 40 to 80 units of energy. One unit yields 4 to 16 units from nuclear and 10 to 18 units 
from wind. So far, there has been no net energy return from solar PV panels. This means that more energy has been used in making the panels than the panels have actually generated worldwide. Of course, this will be reversed over time, but the clear lesson from this is that there is no overnight quick fix. A dash for solar would involve massive investments of energy, which would take years to be paid back. The same applies to other energy sources. Asked whether technology would save the world, Roger's response was, yes it would, but things are likely to get tough. And whose responsibility is it? The market will respond, but markets are not very good at future problems, and no one is doing the energy sums correctly. When will oil go back to $100 a barrel? When Saudi Arabia changes its mind and decides to stop pumping excess supplies? Which could be tomorrow. Marcus Norton from the Carbon Disclosure Project, now known as CDP, represents an organisation of some 822 investors who have $95 trillion of assets under management. They poll the companies they are invested in to find out what they're doing to meet the challenges of climate change and greenhouse gas emissions. They also have similar initiatives on the management of water, forestry, cities and the supply chain. For Marcus, the most important issue is the outcome of COP15, the IPCC meeting in Paris in December. The global economy has to transform itself. Gaps and delays in policies cause risks, and delays mean solutions will have to be more radical. Policies are needed with appropriate and adequate incentives. They need to be carefully thought out to avoid unintended consequences. Stable, reliable carbon pricing is essential, together with support for renewables where necessary. There must be clear plans for the phasing out of fossil fuels. Amendments to the EU Accounting Directive mean that companies must include information about environmental, social, employee and human rights issues as well as greenhouse gas emissions and the use of renewables and other energies. The process of mandatory disclosure drives change. At present, investors have a fiduciary duty to act in their members' best interests at all times. This means that they must take short-term profits wherever possible, which impedes long-term security. The Law Commission has this issue under review, and investment regulations must be changed to enable investors to take a long-term view. There is a legal action currently in progress against a pension fund to require it to look at the implications of climate change. We are seeing significant shifts. There are investor-led initiatives in the news. The Church of England is the latest to announce portfolio decarbonisation. In other words, selling off its investments in fossil fuels. It needs to become common practice for all investors to measure their portfolio carbon footprint. A critical mass of investment is needed to address carbon intensity. CDP investing members represent a large slice of the global economy, so if they withdraw capital from carbon-intensive projects, it will certainly have an effect. Will tax and regulations have the desired effect? A global price on carbon is the ideal. The US car industry sought lax emission standards, and when the oil price went up, two major manufacturers needed bailing out. We need to position ourselves for the future, 
Legislation is not linear or predictable and will be caught out by short-term shocks, but that's no excuse for not acting. Mark Shaler is Director of APE, or is that APE, and Visiting Lecturer at the Royal College of Art. Over 25 years consulting to major corporates on sustainability issues, he reckons he's saved them some £220 million. He spoke about the rise of the middle class. 146 pairs of hands are involved in the manufacture of every iPad. Those people want to change the way they live and consume. They want to live like we do. China is investing in Africa because it knows that if it controls labour and resources, then it controls profits. Who is going to supply Europe? Stuff will become more expensive. How will we make money to buy what we need? We need to reshore to return manufacturing to our country. Apparently 50% of MBA students in the UK are Chinese. In future, the tagline will be designed in China, made in Africa, sold in China. We need to get back to manufacturing in the UK, but we've lost skills. Innovation in the UK is trivial. Organisations are more powerful than the government, but they're too big to innovate. London is too expensive for innovators. Where in the UK can we establish a new industrial revolution? Perhaps Birmingham? Perhaps elsewhere? We need permission to fail. We need leaders. Sadly, the greenest government ever has been nothing of the sort. The future is quite scary. However, some organisations like Unilever and Procter and & Gamble are adapting to change. Although dinosaurs like Kodak and Spotify failed to adapt and failed... We need to accept a longer return on investment, but the whole current structure is based on fear. MPs are afraid of losing their jobs. And anyway, there's little to choose between the political parties. The circular economy is potentially revolutionary. No pun intended, I'm sure. But we need to reskill. There are startups, but too few of them. There is light at the end of the tunnel, but it's pretty dim. Question. Why has the EU withdrawn its support for the concept of the circular economy? Answer. Because of lobbying by vested interests with important stakes in business as usual. Apparently the shortcomings of this approach have been recognised and a new package on the circular economy will be issued by the EU later this month. Questions followed the presentations. What about freezing energy prices? This was seen as really unhelpful bribes and offers without responsibility from people with heads in the sand. It could possibly work with imposed economy measures. Otherwise, it's taxpayer-subsidised waste. What about batteries and storage? The outlook is very hopeful and we need to push on with this. We must invest more in these innovations which are essential to overcome the intermittency of renewables. What about nuclear? Waste is still a problem. Nuclear may be part of the transition, but not a solution for the long term. Sustainability in schools. Yes, very important. ICSR will be working with schools. All courses and professions should include sustainability. We must not segregate or compartmentalise when educating children. And what about Europe? The panel seemed united that leaving Europe would be a bad thing. The UK is too small on its own. Only the UK could vote on leaving the EU 
in the year of the UK's EU presidency. And finally, were there any reasons to be cheerful? Yes, some manufacturing is being brought back to the UK. Yes, there are some very bright young people now involved in research. Yes, major corporate players are beginning to take the whole thing seriously. Yes, investors' fiduciary duty is under review and there is a clear initiative towards portfolio decarbonisation. Yes, the green business trade surplus stands at £6 billion. Well, that's been a bit of a marathon session, but this is a long weekend, so you've got plenty of time to absorb it. Oh, yes, thanks for reminding me. You really should read Sustainable Energy Without the Hot Air. It goes into detail about how we use energy and what we would have to do to source it all from renewables. It's a scientific analysis, but I'm no scientist and I still find it very readable. The good news is that you can download it free of charge from the internet. Your favourite search engine will tell you where to find it. Sustainable energy without the hot air. The other thing to read is Jeremy Leggett's The Winning of the Carbon War. The latest edition, which brings us up to 20th of April this year, is out today. It's also a free download. Find it at jeremyleggett.net. That's J-E-R-E-M-Y-L-E-G-G-E-T-T dot net. What I've read so far is fascinating. There will be a new chapter each month, right up to the Paris Conference in December. So that's it for this week. If you're in the UK, do enjoy the bank holiday. If you're not in the UK and have no idea what a bank holiday is, it means we won't be working on Monday. Next week, I was going to talk again about sustainability and education, but next Friday will be the day after the British general election, and we will still be watching the results come in, in what is expected to be an extremely close finish. I'll be commenting on the Sustainable Futures show, possibly even more than once. In the meantime, if you want someone for your sustainability panel, if you need a chair for your conference or a keynote speaker, contact me on mail at anthony-day.com. Sorry, not available on the 18th of June as I'll be chairing the Energy Exchange in Westminster. So that is it. This is Anthony Day. Bye for now.